scripture reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words and the faith of, of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is the value of every way. And it holds promise for the present life as, as also for the life to come. The saying, it is tr- <clears throat> the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set in the, in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. You may be seated. Well, thank you for being with us this evening. We're always very grateful for each and every one who's with us, and we're delighted to have you tonight in our Sunday evening worship service. Thank you for the beautiful singing, Nat. Nat does such a fine job with the announcements and the singing. Summer's a busy time for Nat because of all the activities that our children have, and so he stays very busy, and we're grateful for all that Nat does for fine congregation here and for our children. I know they appreciate him very much like we do. And grateful for the scripture reading for these fine prayers. Thank you for that. And the only request that I'd have of you is please remember me in your prayers from time to time. I'm always very grateful for these uh, faithful godly men who lead us in prayer. And I appreciate very much the sentiments that were expressed in prayer both this morning and this evening. You and I have been studying out of the book First Timothy in our Sunday morning Bible class. And we're now moved on into the book of Titus. And I wanted to pick up with some thoughts from 1 Timothy and preach about that in our Sunday evening worship service. That's what I'm doing tonight. It's what we did last Sunday night together. We looked at some very important passages. We've done this for several Sunday nights. We studied it in our Sunday morning Bible class. Then we preach on it on Sunday night. And we're studying out of Isaiah Uh, in our Wednesday evening Bible class, and we've looked at a few lessons out of Isaiah. It sort of supplements what we're doing in our Bible class to study it uh, from perspective of the pulpit, and I'm happy to do that, and it's been very beneficial for me. And I picked out selections out of 1 Timothy, not to preach through the whole book, but to pick out some very important parts of the book for emphasis' sake that I think you and I need to be aware and to keep before us in our heart and in our mind. And that's this passage tonight in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. It really talks about the matter of godliness and the training in godliness. Before I try to analyze any passage here on this paragraph, with your Bible open and following along with me, let me rehearse just a point or two that we have studied in our Sunday morning Bible classes in the past. Notice that he says in the beginning in chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4 and 1, the Spirit speaketh expressly. This is going to happen. The Spirit has revealed this particular matter to him. Now then the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars who conceive consciences are seared. He says there's coming a time in the latter days that there are going to be those who are drawn away from the precious word of God. 
There's always some who want to pull the faithful into a different direction. He says this particularly in the latter days. That, of course, is what we're living in for the present. We're living in the latter days. This is the last dispensation of time that God has with regard to dealing with mankind. When His Son comes again, no one knows when that will be. It will be the end, and the judgment will ensue. The fact of the matter is, we're living in these latter days. And he says, now in the latter days, the Spirit expressly says, it says it in so many words, that there are going to be some that will depart from the faith. And you need to be aware of this problem. Timothy, I've left you in Ephesus to face these particular matters, and I want you to understand what's ahead for you. You need to warn the brethren, and you need to tell them about these particular matters. And he comes now, really, to our lesson, the point that we want to make, beginning in verse 6 of our study tonight. And he says, now point this out to the church. Help the church understand that these are going to be perilous times and that we are in the battle of our lives. It is a spiritual battle for our souls and that we are living in a sin-saturated world and that Satan is a very real being and Satan wants to destroy our souls. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So he says, help the brethren see this. They need to know what they're up against. They need to know what the responsibility we have with regard to these matters. Now use the word servant there, which I think deserves special thought. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. This is the same word that we sometimes see in our English translations, as deacon. But in a general sense, it is used in a way to mean anyone who ministers, anyone who serves. King James Version renders it this way, a good minister of uh, Christ Jesus. And that, of course, is what a minister is to do. Anyone who serves, anyone who preaches, anyone who teaches, it is demanded of them that they warn people with the Word of God that there are troublesome times that are ahead, and that we are up against a remarkable foe indeed. Now, I don't normally do this, but I I will tonight, and I'd like to use uh, one as an illustration. Uh, He's known as America's preacher tonight. His name's Joel Olstein. Perhaps you've heard of him. He preaches for the largest church in America, thousands of people, preaches in a basketball arena in Houston, Texas. And I've seen him a number of times and read some of his books. He writes these uh, best-selling books, and uh, he's on television. And he has such a winning personality about them. I won't say anything about him other than what he says about himself in the written page and in the public forum. One thing he says about his preaching is that he does not deal with anything controversial. Now, he's very upfront about that. To the thousands of people that he preaches to, he's not going to bring any controversial topic up. That is just not what he's into, he says. A second thing that he tells us very clearly, he does not talk about hell. He does not talk about Satan, and he doesn't talk about sin. And he's very forthright in this particular matter. In the public forums that I've listened to him, And in the books that I've read and uh, listened to the lessons that he's given, he has a very different approach as a minister. His approach, he says, 
He helps people realize their possibilities in life. And he calls this possibility living. He wants to inspire people. He wants to make people good people, inspire them to better living. Now, I've seen him and his wife on television on a number of occasions, and I have to confess, if I were to meet him, I would think he'd be a very fine guy, a very nice fellow. He has a very charming personality about him, and a great smile, which is very winning and charming. And his idea is, I want to make people feel good and make them feel better so that they can be inspired to live a good life. But there's a problem with this. A good person is not going to be able to stand before God on the day of judgment. It's going to take a godly person that stands before God on the day of judgment. There is a difference between being a good person and a godly person. It doesn't take a lot of effort to be a good person. In fact, most everybody is going to say you're a good person. If you're good to your wife and you pay your debts, you don't kick the dog, that's a good fellow. And just about anybody can be a good fellow. But being a good fellow is one thing, but being a godly person is another. Paul said in this regard, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. You see, there's a big difference. Good preachers do this. And good preachers train, and each of us train, in the matter of godliness. As I've just read in verse 7. There is a great world battle out there for our souls. And Satan is a cunning adversary. And we dare not minimize his work, his cunning, his sinister attitude, his clever approach to our lives. We must do our very best to expose the kind of error that He sets before us, causing us to drift away from the straight and narrow path that God has given. The reality of Satan and those who follow them, him must certainly be described, and it must be noted, and we must do our very best to walk a godly life and reject the evil and, in turn, embrace the good. We've got to do this in order to prevent our own falling away, as well as those who are around us. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with, an, with irreverent silly myths. I'm in verse 6 and verse 7. Now, to help us understand this, he puts this in language that we're very familiar with. He talks about diet and exercise. It's not my favorite subject, but it is something that he uses to help me know how important it is to understand the reality of sin and Satan and reject that and be the godly person that God really wants me to be. First, he talks about the diet. The diet that I've got to reject is the irreverent silly myths, the false doctrine, the error that is out there. I don't want to be a part of that. You know, anybody who goes on a diet knows... And I guess we've all done that at one time or another. That we've got to get the environment cleaned up. If your pantry is full of potato chips and cookies and donuts and that kind of thing, and the freezer is full of ice cream and that kind of matter, it's going to be harder for you to resist that kind of food. If, on the other hand, 
you have the right kind of food for the right kind of diet, then of course you're going to be successful in the program of losing the weight as you might need to do. Now, you all don't need that coaching. I need that kind of coaching, but you all don't need that kind of coaching about losing weight. You all have already lost all the weight that you need to lose. One thing is for sure. There's a spiritual kind of junk food out there that we need to get cleaned up. Sometimes it comes through the way of the television. Sometimes it comes through the way of the cinema. Sometimes it comes through the articles that we read or the radio that we listen to. Junk food is all around us. It is irreverent, it is silly, and it is myth. It is worldliness that is not grounded in the Word of God. Paul is saying now, if you're going to be a godly person, then in turn you've got to get rid of the junk food. And you've got to dine on the good stuff. Now the good stuff that he references is in the last portion of verse 6. He says, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now that's what you feed on. You feed on the Word of God. You immerse yourself with the Word of God. And you study it, and you learn it, and you do your very best to apply it to your life. Now, it's certainly appealing to dine on the junk food. If we were just all kids, we'd eat cake and ice cream every time. There's a lot of spiritual junk food out there that we'd probably like to feed on. But we dare not do it. We've got to get rid of the junk food. You know what I'm talking about. That which promotes error, that which fosters sin, that which is enticing for us to do the wrong thing. And there's a lot of that out there, and we've got to refuse it. And we've got to do our very best to dine on the good stuff. Now, this is a constant thing that we've got to be involved in. He says in verse 6, being trained in the good words of the faith. That's the good stuff. And what he's talking about is the Word of God there. We come to church. We come to worship service. We come and we worship God. We expose ourselves every day of the week to wickedness all around us, trying its best to short-circuit us as far as our spiritual growth is concerned. It is critical and vital for us to be involved ourselves in what is good, to learn it, to know it, to reflect on it. That's why Sunday morning Bible class, Wednesday night Bible classes, uh, gospel meetings, things of that sort are so important for us. Because it's an opportunity for us to dine on the good things rather than being exposed to the terrible things all the time. I read about an interesting individual. I'd like to share something of his life that will give us some illustration of this important matter of the diet that we ought to be on. His name's General William K. Harrison. He was commander of the 30th Infantry Division in the Second World War. Harrison was an outstanding leader of American troops during that time. In fact, General Eisenhower called the 30th Division the greatest division that he had under his command. He was an individual who had been given every decoration except the Congressional Medal of Honor. And he was one of the few generals in the Second World War that actually was wounded in combat. He was a very faithful man to his cause and very dedicated to his country, and he was a great American. At the resolution of the Korean conflict, that war, there Eisenhower decided Harrison is the man to lead the way. Now Harrison was used then to negotiate the peace between the Allied forces and communist uh, forces in Korea. There in turn, Harrison was a very busy man. 
But Harrison was a man who believed in the Word of God. He believed that the Bible was what he should feed on every day. And he gave himself a steady diet of the Bible, the Word of God. When he was a cadet at West Point, 20 years of age, he decided that he was going to read the Old Testament through once every year and the New Testament four times every year. And he never faltered in that commitment throughout the course of his life. Now, you might think, well, a new cadet at West Point is a pretty busy fellow. But he wasn't too busy to read the Bible through as he had committed himself to do. And you might think General of the 30th Infantry Division might be a pretty busy guy. But he was never too busy to diet on the good food and to bring it in and let it nourish his body and let him tell him what he needs to do spiritually. That's the kind of diet that we need to be on. Now, I know you're busy, and I'm busy. But how busy are we if we cannot study the Word of God? If we're that busy, then we're too busy. I used to say on the radio, and I always liked the uh, statement, if you're too busy to go fishing, then you're too busy. And I personally agree with that. If you're too busy to study the Word of God, you're too busy. Now, let's stop and reflect this reflect about this matter just for a moment. How many Bible verses have been we've been reading each day? The congregation here is on a on a program whereby we're reading through the scripture this year and we passed out uh, schedules for the scripture reading and that kind of thing. I hope you're keeping up. If you've fallen behind, pick up on that. Pick up on the reading so that you can continue in the reading of the word of God. Well, why would we do that? I think Paul's point here is training in godliness. You've got to understand that there's a battle out there for your soul. And Satan is very real. And you need to learn and be told what needs to be done with regard to this matter. And the best way to learn that is to study the Word of God and apply it to your life. Now there's another element here involved in the passage that I want to emphasize, as Paul does, That's the exercise portion of the passage. There's not only the diet, but there's also the exercise. Exercise is very important. I don't know how much, uh, what percentage the exercise plays with regard to the diet, but it plays an important part. And that's what he says here in verse 7. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, I'm in verse 7. To train yourself is the word we get our word, gymnastics. And it's the word which means perform spiritual types of gymnastics with regard to your spiritual being and your spiritual welfare. The exercise that he has in mind here is the kind that nourishes us in the diet. The exercise is exercising ourselves in the truth, in the Word of God. Have nothing to do with error, but yet we absorb and imbibe the Word of God We're in the Word, we're committed to the work of the Word, and it is a regular part of our life. This is something that we need to consider very carefully if we're training ourselves in godliness as we should be. We need to watch the diet, and we need to exercise so as to grow. It's not a matter of being a good person. That's not good enough. Being a good person is good, but it doesn't take a lot of effort to be a good person. It takes a lot of effort to be godly. And it's the godly one who stands before God approved in the day of judgment. Now I want you to notice this particular matter. It is not easy. 
And that's the point that he's making for us, and I'll skip on down to verse 10. For to this end, what do we do? We toil and strive. Two important words there. These words, toil and strive, are words that we get agony from. It's hard work. It's agonizing. To be spiritually strong is not going to be easy. It's not something that just happens overnight. It is something that we work at day by day. It is a great challenge for us to be spiritually strong. And it's something that we must concentrate on. Sometimes we'll have to say no to things in order to be spiritually stronger. And sometimes we'll say yes to things in order to grow spiritually like we should. It takes time, it takes effort, and as I said, it takes concentration. And do not be discouraged with regard to the matter of spiritual strength and growing spiritually as we should. It's something that we need to put into practice. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For a while, verse 8, bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Is there some value in physical exercise? Yes. There's a limited amount of value to physical exercise. But it doesn't gain us anything towards spiritual life. He says, now the spiritual exercise that he's talking about will bring about eternal life. And that's the motivation that I see him offering us in this very next point. The hope of eternal life. And so he doesn't try to tell us now... This is going to be something that you're really going to feel good about yourself. That's not really the motivation. Or it's not the motivation to say, you know, this is something that really uh, is what you're going to be looking after or wanting. And you're really going to look better and feel better and that kind of thing. You know, that's kind of a self-gratification there, a self-motivation. But the motivation that he offers for the diet and the exercise and the training in godly living is found for us in this particular passage in verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because, here's why, we agonize over this, here's why, because we have our hope set on the living God. That's where our hope is. Our confident expectation to be with God. That's the motivation that he has given us for this matter of diet and exercise and the kind of spiritual training that he has in mind. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Notice, if you will, back up here in verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life, now watch it, and also for the life to come. There is a life to come. The motivation behind this all is not a self-gratification. It is a motivation to be with God, to be in the presence of God. To enjoy the life to come. A life that truly is there. Now we have to ask ourselves the question. What kind of person are we, spiritually speaking? Are we truly satisfied with the life that we have 
as far as the child of God is concerned? Or is there room for improvement? Turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. And I'd like to emphasize just for a brief moment this particular matter of growing in Christ as we should grow. Godliness is great gain. I appeal to you in Romans 12 and verse 1, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual reasonable service. I use the word service there. I think it's a better translation than what the English Standard Version has. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He's trying to tell us now, transform your mind by the Word of God. It's the same thing that he's talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, our passage tonight, but he says it in a different way. Here he's talking about letting the mind and the life be changed by a study of the Word of God. It all points back to that. Let's study this a minute further. Turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. What a great passage that is, and it's a Bible passage that just is an amazing verse of Scripture that I hope we never forget, and it should be one, I think, that you mark in the pages of your Bible. And the Bible passage that I'm thinking of specifically is verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Now let me pause right there for a moment and let me help uh, put this together with regard to the point at hand. The motivation, you see, to live the Christian life is to be with God and to recognize the fact that there is a life to come. And in helping us that way, He motivates us by telling us, now be like the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Think the way He thought. Live the way He lived. Uh, behave the way he behaved. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to it at all possible cost. But he emptied himself and became a human being. Why? So that we could have eternal life. And I'll go for just a minute and read on into uh, the chapter. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Many have described this particular section of the epistle as one of the most profound passages of all the New Testament. There's a certain name for the uh, passage that the scholars describe it in that fashion, but it's surely showing that Christ emptied himself so that we could have eternal life and live with him in the life to come, our verse 8. Now, Paul doesn't leave us there. While I'm here, I like to talk about this particular subject, about living the Christian life and training in godliness. He gives us two examples, I think, that we ought to be reminded of. And I've made reference to these men before, and I'm going to make reference to them again. Two biblical examples of the diet and exercise and the training in godliness that we're trying to study tonight from 1 Timothy chapter 4, 6 through 10. The first example out of Philippians chapter 2 is the t example of Timothy. 
Now, Timothy must have been a remarkable individual. And we naturally are concerned about Timothy because Paul wrote this book, 1 Timothy, to him, leaving him in Ephesus. And so he says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus, this is verse 19 of our second chapter, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, but not those of Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Well, his point about Timothy is here's a man who really has had the right diet and trained in the right way of spiritual exercise. Here's a man, he naturally thinks more about other people than he thinks about himself. Now, most people think more about themselves, self-aggrandizement. But here's a man who thinks more about other people, he just naturally does it. Well-trained in godliness. The kind of person that we really need to be. He's a lot better than just a good guy. He is well-trained in godliness. Now, there's another fellow, though, in this chapter that I really have come to admire. It's in verse 25. He's Epaphroditus. I'm using these as examples of how to live the Christian life. Sometimes we think, well, naturally, Jesus is perfect in all that he said, all that he did. He is the Son of God. And he was perfect in all he said and all that he did. But here are men are just like you and me. And they followed the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, verse 5, and trained well with the right diet and the right exercise. I speak for the present of Epaphroditus. In verse 25, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He's telling us that Epaphroditus came his way from uh, Philippi up to Rome. Paul's in a Roman prison at the time. And while there, Epaphroditus got sick. Well, he got so sick, he nearly died. But what distressed him was that the good folks back home learned about his illness, his sickness. Now, isn't that unusual? Generally, it works the other way around. When I'm sick, I want everybody to know it. When I'm sick, I want everybody to come and take care of me. When I'm sick, I want everybody to see after me and to see after my needs. And that's a wonderful Christian thing to do, to see after the sick. We prayed for them tonight. But this man's attitude, I'm sorry that the good folks at home are anxious about my illness. And Paul said he nearly died while he was here at Rome. And he's sorry that they learned about his illness. There's a man who has the mind of Christ. I tell you, a man like that has been eating the right food. And he's been on the right diet. A man like that has had the right kind of spiritual exercise to develop the godliness that Paul is talking about in this particular passage. Our study tonight, 1 Timothy chapter 4. There, verses 6 through verse 10. Now, you know, whenever I study a Bible passage like this, I'm always concerned about myself. And we need to be concerned about ourselves as to apply these matters to our life. So I stop for a moment and I I reflect on the matter. How well am I doing in my spiritual life? Am I really growing like I should? Am I growing in faith? 
Am I a stronger Christian today than what I was yesterday or the day before? What kind of diet have I been on and what I, have I been eating? Have I been eating the spiritual, the junk food out there that's really going to cause me to lose my soul? Or have I been taking in the words of the faith that Paul makes mention in verse 6? Are you satisfied with your spiritual condition? Or as you read these particular passages, do you see, you know what? I've been too concerned with the irreverent and the silly myths. And I have not been training myself for godliness. Then why not make the correction regarding the matter? And why not see the value of the soul and the importance that we're going to stand before God one day? Now let me say just in a brief moment here, verse 9. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is the third time Paul says this. He's going to say it five times in First and Second Timothy and Titus. And this is the third time that he said this. And what is it that he's saying? For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Tonight, I've been studying with you a portion out of our Sunday morning Bible class on 1 Timothy. And I've been looking at a paragraph of Scripture. And I've tried to analyze it and look at it very carefully, verses 6 through 10, to help us understand there is a great battle out there for our souls. Who will win the victory? The victory lies with the one who has the proper diet and exercise and the proper motivation to succeed, to go to life's other side. Now, every one of us are going to see life's other side. None of us are going to miss it. What separates us, of course, from the way of the world is the children of God are prepared for it. They have changed their life from darkness to light, from the power of God, from the power of Satan unto God. And they are turned faithful to the Word of God. They've repented of their sins. They've confessed their faith in Christ, been baptized unto Christ for the remission of sins, added to the church of the Lord. This is how one becomes a child of God. One becomes a Christian in such a fashion. And then comes the task of living the faithful Christian life. That's much have been our emphasis tonight the training and the development of a godly life and how important that is and what we need to do in order to obtain it. Now you have to ask yourself the question, where are you in this matter of godliness? I have to say, when I look at passages like this, the first thing that comes to my mind, I've got some fixing up I need to do. I've got some things I can improve on. I can do better. What about you? Can you do better? Can you study more? Can you pray more? Can you become more godly by developing these qualities of life? If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, I urge you to do that today. I urge you to become a child of God as I very briefly outlined it for you. And I urge you to do it now. If you've been unfaithful to the cause of Christ, I urge you to repent of that. And as you think about these important lessons about godliness and living the kind of life that God would have us to live, Make the correction that needs to be made. That might mean I need to come forward and repent of my sins. That I've been out of duty and it's a public matter. I need to repent in a public fashion.
That might mean I need to go to my Heavenly Father in prayer. And I need to ask for His forgiveness. That might mean I need to go to that brother or that sister over there and ask their forgiveness and make restitution for the wrongs which I've committed against them. Whatever the need tonight, let's do it and exercise godliness so that we'll be prepared for life's other side. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.